Nah, my full time. Hold it up and smoke it. Transgression, a progression of a war we ain't asked for. Transgression, a progression of a war we ain't asked for. This madness, yo. All the things that we could talk about. Call it. But let's talk about these urban circumstances real quick. And basically, it's the and um, we got this. So, revolution. Muhammad is the famed name forever stand. Standing on royal fusing of justice for the few ridiculed by the pale terrorists bent on genocidal obsession rooted in fear of neglection and abandonment fueled by nightmares of ancestors. conservative coffee and conversations um and this is part two of did minneapolis lie uh, we're going to continue that conversation and watching the rest of the fall of minneapolis um and we're going to continue where we left off yesterday so let's, let's get into that Shaven is in the courtroom, but America's on trial. Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice. But even Dr. King's assassination did not have the worldwide impact that George Floyd's death did.
Just take them out and just. For what? Stop resisting, man. Thank you. Tonight, barricades around the Minneapolis courthouse where jury select to begin Monday for the murder trial break show. A courtroom in a tower in downtown Minneapolis was ringed Monday with concrete barriers, barbed wire, and soldiers from the state's National Guard. Nearby businesses were closed and windows boarded up due to fears of arson and other property damage that occurred after Floyd's death. But I'm going to tell you there's a new day in America, and a new day in Minneapolis. And that day belongs to all of us when we demand for justice. Don't say it! So tell us about that. So at some point when you're there at the scene still, did a fire truck come? Yes. And mm -hmm. they're coming to respond to the call. Correct? They're coming to respond to the call. Um, and they went into Cup Foods to actually look for a victim. Um, which is unique uh, for that, um, there to be that much miscommunication. Mr. Nelson. Um, you testified that you've been a firefighter now for two years, approximately. Correct. And uh, I see you're wearing your uniform today. Correct. And that would be like your dress uniform or your class A uniform. Correct. And that's common to wear when you testify in court. Correct. Fair to say that you were not wearing your class A or any uniform on May 25th, 2020. Correct. I was off duty. Correct. Okay. Are, are you really a firefighter? Yes, I am okay. from Minneapolis. Okay. Bro, they you, get on you, the you, sidewalk. Check his right foot now. Is it reasonable to assume that if a patient is having a medical emergency and the police are present, that they have called for EMS? Your, call, your question is unclear because you don't know my job, so um, okay. can't answer. Sure. So let's, let's take this scene. Right, May 25th, 2020, you walk upon a scene, you see someone having a medical emergency, right? You did not call 911 to get the medics there, right? Right. Would it have been reasonable to assume that medics had already been called based on what you saw when you first arrived? Yes. 
I think two nothing. And in fact, paramedics did respond, right? You saw the ambulance come up. Yes, that's not their normal response time. Okay. And so you noticed there was some abnormal response time for medics. Right. And I also noticed that that is precisely the kind of call that fire would respond to. And station 17 is just a couple blocks away. Okay. So do officers on scene decide, do we call for medic or fire? I don't believe so. I believe that's dispatch. I, they, they call for medical so if, if attention. police call dispatch and they say EMS, we need EMS code three, it's dispatch who decides, do we send medics or fire? Well, it would be medic. It would be fire with medics, not just fire ever. Um, I don't know the answer to that. Fair enough. There were a few mistakes that turned out to be big mistakes in the way EMS was dispatched to the scene. So the fire department ended up at Cup Foods walking around looking for a patient when the paramedic had already updated the location. They had moved to 36th and Park, and so the fire department didn't know that. That's disturbing. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I don't have my phone, so I'll be big. You just see All right. Then I then you guys were saying, I'm like, the pound says code three. Like, I just don't understand. And then we figured out where it was. And then one of your officers was like, hey. <laughs> you would agree, Chief, that from the perspective of Miss Frazier's camera. It appears that Officer Chauvin's knee is on the neck of Mr. Floyd. Yes. Would you agree that from the perspective of Officer King's body camera, it appears that Officer Chauvin's knee was more on Mr. Floyd's shoulder blade? Um, yes. I have no further questions. I'd like to show you uh, what's been received as Exhibit 17. Is this a trained technique that's uh, by the Minneapolis Police Department when you were uh, overseeing the training unit? It is not. And how does this differ? I don't know what kind of improvised position that is. So that's not what we train. As you reflect on exhibit 17, I must ask you, is this a trained Minneapolis Police Department defensive tactics technique? It is not. 
when I heard that part of the testimony, I really wanted to get up off my chair and yell, bullshit. Several of those witnesses testified that MRT, or the maximal restraint technique, was not a part of Minneapolis police policy. Oh, the, um, it wasn't part of the training. The pages that were, didn't want to be presented in court because they weren't in the manual. I've seen the manual. I've read through the manuals. I've seen, I've seen them. Hmm, they're not in the manuals. Well, they sure as hell are in Derek's training manuals. So how can they say that they don't exist? That's Derek's manual. These are Derek's training manuals. And MRT is in there? Yes, it's in there. So how can you say that's not part of the training? So the chief of police at that time told a freaking lie. This call is from a federal prison. During the trial, several witnesses, including Chief Arredondo and Inspector Blackwell, testified that they didn't recognize the technique you and the other officers were using as if it was not a part of Minneapolis police training. But was MRT, the maximal restraint technique, part of training and policy? Absolutely. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. 5-316, maximal restraint technique, right in their written policy manual. The EMS and Apple's fire response was not normal. Normally, both those resources are sent. They arrive in short time, especially in on a code three situation. In this case, Minneapolis fire took 20 minutes plus to arrive and their station's eight blocks away. At the end of the day, the whole trial, including sentencing, was a sham. So from that point, um, you know, we saw you standing there on the sidewalk, uh, just sort of standing still. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm type, bitch. From there, did you stay in the area for a little while? Yes. And at some point you made a 911 call. Yes. Why at that point did you call 911? Um, I think it all settled in that I wish I would have done that immediately because it made, it was ridiculous that 17 stations, fire station 17 was as close as it was. Um, and that they hadn't been there. I should have called 911 immediately, but I didn't. And when things calmed down, I realized that I, I wanted them to know what was going on. Your attorney wanted to show a photo of MRT to the jury, but Judge Cahill denied it. Was this a key piece of evidence? I think it certainly is important. Just the fact that it's a PowerPoint 
training presentation that the city of Minneapolis, Minneapolis Police Department delivered uh, using that photograph uh, that at least illustrates some of the training techniques that are performed. Were you trained in MRT, the maximal restraint technique? Yes. 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 Yes, I was. Yes, we all were. Yes, all the police officers were trained in the MRT. Your police chief said on the stand that he didn't recognize that technique. Mm-hmm. I, I heard him say that. It's tough to hear people lie, just straight lie. And again, goes right back to, for me, the good and the bad, like the right and the wrong. And for you to be under oath and just straight lie. The amount of training that we go through, I mean, it's, it's consistent every single year. It's written down. It's on body cam. I mean, was that unfortunate? Absolutely. I know Derek Chauvin. It's, it's absolutely horrific what happened, the whole scenario. But did he do anything intentionally to make that happen? No, it was, it was all what we were trained on. You helped to train Officer Alex King. What did you think of him? I probably trained a few thousand people. He was probably one of the top two. Top two or three recruits I've ever had. Give me a minute. From what I've seen of the videotape, what was done at the scene with George Floyd and the photograph in the police training manual, they look pretty identical. So question seven proposed by the defense was, after conducting your business in Cup Foods, did you return to the vehicle with Mr. Floyd? Mr. Hall cannot answer that question. Mr. Hall cannot put himself in that car with Mr. Floyd. Again, this was a car that was searched twice and drugs were recovered twice. If Mr. Hall puts himself in that car, he exposes himself to constructive possession charges of the drugs that were found in that car. Uh, knowing all that, do You've had a chance to look at the questions that were proposed by both sides? I have. Would you be willing to answer those if I were to put you on the stand and swear you in as a witness? No, I am not. Okay, and why would you not answer those? I'm fearful of criminal charges going forward. I have open charges that's not settled yet. 
you testified that you were the officer who approached the passenger side of the vehicle. You approached George Floyd on May 6th of 2019. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. And Mr. Floyd didn't drop dead while you were interacting with him, correct? No. Thank you. Nothing further. Anything further? No, Your Honor. Thank you. You may step down. Thank you, Your Honor. The city of Minneapolis has agreed to pay George Floyd's family $27 million to settle a civil lawsuit with his family as the jury selection continues for the trial of the officer charged with his murder. You know, I like you mentioned, there is no amount of money that can uh, replace a brother, a son, uh, a nephew, um, a father, a loved one. But what we can do is continue to work towards justice and equity and equality in the city of Minneapolis. The city of Minneapolis would pay them the largest civil settlement of its kind, $27 million. We're looking for a guilty verdict. We're looking for a guilty verdict. What should protesters do? Well, we, we got to stay on the street. Uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they they know that we mean business. I'm aware of the media reports. I'm aware that Congresswoman Waters was talking specifically about this trial and about the unacceptability of uh, anything less than a murder conviction and talk about being confrontational. But you can submit the press articles about that. A Congresswoman's opinion really doesn't matter a whole lot. This jury has, has, despite all best efforts, has been bombarded with information relevant to this case. It is impossible to stay away from it unless you literally shut off your phone or you shut off your TV, you shut off your computer, and no such instructions have been given during the course of this trial. Well, to be fair, the last few times I've advised them, I told them, don't watch the news, pure and simple. Derek was tried in a courthouse that was surrounded by barbed wire, concrete block, two armored personnel carriers, and a squad of National Guard troops, all of which or whom were there for one purpose, in the event the jury acquitted him. Every person in this country is entitled to be to a fair trial in a fair venue under the Constitution. What kind of message do you think that sent to the jury seeing those scenes outside the, the courthouse every day? I don't have to speculate on the message uh, the jurors had in their minds. Every juror had a stake in the outcome of that case because every juror knew that if there was a not guilty finding, there was a less than trivial and, and actually substantial risk that there would be riots in their community again. What do you think your son's case says about the justice system in America? Is there a justice system in America? Not according to what they did to Derek and the other three officers. There isn't any. I don't believe in the justice system anymore.
A sentence for count one, the court commits you to the custody of the Commissioner of Corrections for a period of 270 months. That's 270. That is a 10-year addition to the presumptive sentence of 150 months. This is based on your uh, abuse of a position of trust and authority and also the particular cruelty shown to George Floyd. This call is from a federal prison. Do you blame Chauvin for any of this? I don't. The way I see it is that he made the decisions he thought was right. As he did before, he's always been one that was by the book and legally abiding. I think he did exactly what he was trained to do unfortunate that the publicity got as riled up as it did by all the officials and politicians that were involved with the case and it took away any chance he had to even say his piece what does this case say about the justice system in america i think unfortunately we've come to the point now where the justice system has been controlled by mob mentality social media news outlets peer pressures now control the outcomes of trials, investigations. The justice system no longer is really something you can trust because if you're in any way on the negative side of the media, you know, you're pretty much just going to have a trial by street and no one ever wins in street trials with publicity that is already against you. There's just no real way to have a fair trial. We have a whole constitutional amendment about that that is null and void. Why then did you want to speak out? 
The whole city is different. The police force lost so many people because of it. Just the amount of crisis that people went through. The media did a really good, strange job of reporting the way they wanted the narrative to go. After what the world witnessed in the murder of George Floyd. These four police officers are committing a series of actions that violate policies. This news is disgusting and they're immoral. At the stuff they reported, the lies they reported. I saw the video. There was a lot of other angles that were excluded. A lot of training that was excluded. What was it like going to 911 calls after the riots? I was the first officer at multiple shootings. I was involved with gun calls. Then I'm just like, one of these situations is not going to turn out good. I mean, no matter what I do, it's I'm going to be either the next Chavin or I'm going to be shot or killed. And I go, I've already been injured twice in this job, you know, bad. And now, you know, now at the end of my career, I'm going to get hurt again or end up in prison. When did you decide to leave the Minneapolis Police Department? I'd been in several riots in this city or a protest or whatever you want to call them. And of all the different riots I've been in, that's probably the first time I've ever felt helpless. I found myself, um, for the first time ever, I, I kind of had a panic attack. It was a sense of helplessness. And that, that's the shitty feeling. I woke my wife up at like three in the morning and I just told her, I think I can be done. Going to work though was, was physically making me ill. It wasn't the flu, it wasn't a cold, it wasn't anything that I could put my finger on. It wasn't something that went away. It was the drive into the city, the knot in my stomach, the I'm gonna vomit, I'm gonna be sick. I knew something was was wrong. I left the job about a month after the protests. I just couldn't do it anymore. We were uh, one of the highest trained departments in the country. These were some of the best cops you would ever see in your lives. And a lot of those people are gone. The last call I was ever on was, should have been a routine call. It was a simple hit and run. An officer just dispatched to a hit and run call. The victim has pictures of the car that took off, the description of the guy, and the guy drives by again. So the officer follows him, stops him. I think uh, we had four officers there because people started yelling. I mean, this was just after the riots. Anytime we're out dealing with anybody, especially if a person of color, we were getting the all kinds of screaming and yelling and everything else. It didn't take too long before we realized this guy was completely high on drugs. He was huge too. He was probably 6'5". I mean, he was tall, way bigger than me, probably twice my size. And he's like, I'm not going to jail. 
And I'm like, okay, well, we got our body cameras on. We got four guys. And I'm thinking, well, this guy's drugged out. And he's like, well, I'm not going to jail. I'm going home. Pretty soon the fight's on. And we're fighting with this guy, trying to get him cuffed. We're not hitting him. We're not striking him or anything. But we're going to go to the ground sooner or later because he's a big dude. And we can't. We're going to go to the ground. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, if this guy ODs, if this guy dies in our custody, four white cops at 17th in Chicago, 20 blocks from George Floyd. We're going to prison. And I'm looking at these guys and I go, we're going to fucking prison. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. It's a horrible day. My father was a police officer. I grew up in Minneapolis. My family was here. I didn't want to leave. It was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. I still have difficulties with it. You know, I didn't want to go. I, I love being a police officer, you know. But. Uh... One day at sitting there having lunch, it was probably a group of 20 of us and somebody had said, hey, uh, LT, I heard, I heard you're leaving. What's your last day? And I said, well, today in about 10 minutes. So in fact, um, could one of you guys give me a ride home because I had to leave my squad here. And uh, the one guy that gave me a ride home, home, he's like, okay, let's, you know, I got my squad right here. So we were in a Mark squad. I still had a uniform on and I see a guy walking <laughs> and I see as he's going to raise his hand and I was, I was like, oh, hey, somebody wants to wave at us. And then he flipped us off and I went, holy crap, this was the, this was the right decision. Yeah, everything changed. And it didn't have to, had we had strong leadership right from, from the very top. The governor, the mayor, our chief of police, city council of Minneapolis, the assistant chief and the deputy chiefs. This is how you treat your people. You just turn your back on us. Do you go into Minneapolis anymore? I have not been anywhere near the precinct. I can't bring myself to go to the precinct. I mean, unless I absolutely have to, no. I've even missed a few funerals. Why did you decide to stay on? Well, I think for myself, mainly for, for pride. It, I worked really hard to get here, really hard. And I made a lot of sacrifices in my personal life to, to be able to don a uniform and stand for something. And I could not let evil win. They failed when they gave up that precinct. Our department still hasn't recovered from that. And it's three years later. Um, um, morale is something that uh, can ebb and flow, and it is something that I have to continue to monitor.
I do hear that the mayor talks that crime is down. Crime is down. Crime is down. Say it with me. Crime is down. I often wonder if we're looking at the same city. Overall, crime is way up. Give me the keys. Give me your money. Everything. Keys. Everything. Everything. <laughs> How they ignore that or don't pay attention to that is beyond me. It's just another example of why we're in this situation we're in now. Can you even keep up? No. When I came on, we used to have a, a roll call of about 20 to 25 cops. Um, I've had roll calls with two cops in them. So it's just not enough. This council is going to dismantle this police department. <laughs> All right, they're telling me to say it again. This council is going to dismantle this police department. This government, not just in Minneapolis, but in, in the nation in general, has done a very good job, all the way to the White House, of demonizing law enforcement. Do you believe there is systemic racism in law enforcement? Absolutely. Now, with the element of, it seems, happy prosecutors to prosecute officers for mistakes made, makes it almost unbearable to do the job. And the policies passed makes it impossible to do the job that needs to be done. Our commitment is to end our city's toxic relationship with the Minneapolis Police Department, to end policing as we know it. that I believe will uh, be on the right side of history. They are going to be on the right side of history or they're gonna be on the wrong side of history. But, or they will be left behind. But I'm determined that we are gonna be on the right side of history. Race is inextricably a part of the American policing system. Don't run now! Don't run now, racist white people! I'm here! Oh yeah, we pull up! We pull the fuck up! And we here! Come on over here with your Blue Lives Matter sign! Blue Lives ain't shit! I did, I won the primary election, and y'all can poke call me on this. I am going to the state capitol with this same fucking message. Do you think police and city leaders and the media were hiding the fact that your son is, in fact, a black officer? I think they had such a hard time walking back a story that they had told that they would have done anything to maintain that story. You know, they have a story. 
our family has a story. I have a story in my mind about what really went on as well. When I think about the conversation they must have had once the facts came out about the race of the officers. About the toxicology report, about the medical examiner's report, about the body cameras. I can't joke. I can't breathe. I'm... And, you know, my story goes as they're sitting around looking at each other in a room going, okay, now what do we do? The truth and the facts don't match the story we've been telling everybody and the media has been telling, what are we going to do now? And they look around in the room and ask each other, you know, who has the cojones to t tell the truth? Is it going to be you, Arredondo? Is it going to be you, Benjamin Crump? Is it going to be you, Mayor Fry? Who's going to be the one that's going to say, oh, you know, oops, we thought it was this. We were wrong. The facts don't support it. We're going to have to do something. We're going to have to say something. And they must have looked around the room and said, nope, not me. I don't have cojones. You have cojones? Nope, I don't have them either. But they were able to loan a pair, I think, to Mr. Chief Arredondo so that he could, don't worry, we'll give you, we'll, we'll borrow you a pair so you can have them to go on stand and lie about the training these police officers have had since you don't have any to tell the truth. And that actually, you know, is the story that makes more sense with the facts than the one that they were telling. Alex, it seems practically everyone talks about how Officer Derek Chauvin, who is white, was with George Floyd for eight or nine minutes. But there's you, a black police officer who was with George Floyd for much longer, practically 18 minutes from the moment he was handcuffed until you close the ambulance door. Why is this fact rarely ever mentioned? You know, that's a, that's a good question despite, like you said, the fact that I am black and that another colleague of mine, Tao, is Asian. So really half the attending officers were in the minority. I think that was something that they just didn't want to admit, specifically my race, because, it, again, it goes very counterintuitive to the way the narrative goes. And backpedal. This is where he grew up. Mm -hmm. Yep. Been here most of his life. It's our first house together. I've taught at three different North Side schools, so they all were students in the neighborhood, would live right around me. So yeah, the king name around here had a meaning in, in education and in the city, positive name. And, uh, it's no longer the case. That's hard to come to terms with. What's it like for you to think about him every day in, in prison? My greatest fear is that it's going to change who he is. That I just don't know. 
who he's gonna be when he comes out. So it is hard to think of him there. Every day is excruciating. And we tell him, you know, we know who you are. We know what a lie this is. And you don't have anything to apologize for. What I observed uh, was not training that I ever participated in, and none that I observed uh, uh, other officers uh, participating in. I can't understand how an untruth or a lie can be so accepted without question. This is what happened, this is how they reacted, and this is why they reacted, and this was part of their training. None of that was said. None of that was said. You know, when you're constantly reminded about the worst day of your life and the tragedies that, gosh, are in the news every day. The ramifications of that day in terms of uh, how police are treated in the city and how many have quit and it's gotten so bad. That trajectory, you know, of, of the fallout of what happened, not just that day, but to the city afterwards that continues to happen and across the country. I just can't understand why they don't see that. I mean, how can that not be seen? It's not the police that are the problem. Something else needs to change. How can that not be obvious when things have gotten so bad? The city itself has lost its appeal. A lot of trauma and um, the plan is to find somewhere, somewhere else where we can start fresh and not have all the bad memories. How do you get through every day in prison, Alex? Prison is a very, very unique experience, I can say. Uh, one I never thought I'd see myself in, but it's very easy to get caught up in a lot of self-wallowing and a lot of whatever thoughts you have in your own head. And the easiest way to do it is to take it day by day. Do little things here and there that you can keep doing to take time off your sentence, keep pushing the days forward, and just keep your head up and know that uh, this ultimately this isn't the end and this won't define me. Alex, what do you want people to know about this case? What's been done is done. And I just hope that at the very least, People in the future can keep an open mind and not let instances like this happen. Just use my case as an example is to not jump the gun, not knee jerk, not fall to this race bait, to the social media, to the media, and let them get away with what they do. Because if things like this keep happening, no one anywhere is going to have any sense of justice left.
So that was the fall of Minneapolis. Um, now people have will have different thoughts. Um, I, I'm gonna give my two cents, um, and I think I've made it pretty vocal um, since 2021. You know, I was a um, an individual that stood outside every day uh, for Chauvin's trial. Um, was ticketed numerous times. Um, all I wanted was the, the the truth. You know what I'm saying? Because Chauvin, um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was the simple, the victimizing, the sympathizing. I I can't. You know what I'm saying? Because just for the simple fact of that our communities and, and neighborhoods have been traumatized and, and brutalized for years uh, for people that don't live there. We've been gentrified. Um, you know what I'm saying? So I'm definitely not, I can't sympathize with these, with these officers, with the PTSD, uh, none of that. So my thing of it is, is that one thing that I did learn uh, during the trial is that it just wasn't a Chauvin, you know, issue. It wasn't the, it was more of a, a history with the Minneapolis Police Department, you know, and, and just like, you know, how I said in the beginning of, you know, yesterday with, you know, how I did Reverend Tim Christopher um, was how he brought up the history, you know, talking about, about the the racist Christmas tree, uh, you know, talking about the, the things that went on with Philando uh, Castile, uh, that went on with Jamar Clark, uh, so many other things, you know, because you, Chauvin <laughs> was a bogus ass police officer because, you know, we I've seen video of him with a 14 year old uh, brutalizing and, and, and beating a 14 year old like he was a grown ass man. Uh, I've seen him do the same thing to a woman. So it's, the system to me is, is to blame. Um, that's why for me, a lot of the, the way that Chauvin reacted, acted during the trial, uh, even before, you know, to me, it, 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 it was a man that said, damn, I've done way worse things than this. And now I'm sitting here in a situation of something that I was of a, a position that I was trained to do, um, and I'm going to prison. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the the the, the look that he really gave, uh, the reactions that he he gave, and it's not sympathizing with him. It's the the same thing as you see as some. You know, tomorrow um, I have an interview, part three, with, you know, Robert Davis, who is wrongfully convicted. And to see and, and hear the things that we as, you know, black people go through, it's, you know, it's, I could care less what a police officer is going through. When that part. I, 
you know, innocent people incarcerated. They chose that motherfucking position. We are not here to get police officers off of, 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 of charges. That's not our concern. What I think is our concern is holding ourselves accountable and making sure we're not puppets of the state. If we are supposed to be standing up for ourselves and all the press people, we got to be watching our back. And I feel like for me, that was the purpose of watching this. I need to see what the other side is doing. I also need to see what other narratives and other bits of information are out there. If I'm to make sure that me personally am doing my due diligence as a citizen to make sure that I'm looking at all angles of stuff. I think that everybody should be because as you pointed out, the media is propaganda. They only will let you hear and understand what they want you to. It is up to the average citizen to do their due diligence to get the information that they see fit from all angles, not just one side or the other, because that's where we lack full understanding. Am I right? It ain't even so much about, so I'm going to there was a couple of comments on here and I'm going to, this isn't cop ganda. I'm not a promoter of cop ganda, whatever this is. Um, I put this up here. I, I wanted to play the fall of Minneapolis for a reason. Um, because it, this isn't just about George Floyd. This isn't about Derek Chauvin. Uh, I know those were the, the two subjects really uh, with this documentary, but it goes, for me, it goes deeper. And this was really a starting point for me of, you know, going forward because of the simple fact of I wanted to start to put in the pieces to the puzzle together. I wanted to show people of why we are in these situations that we're in because the simple fact we literally will watch TV shows and 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 sit down but in reality we're living that shit. We're mm -hmm. literally living that shit. You know, yep. it, it's like when cocaine became big, you know, or or I should say crack. What was right. going on? We were at war. We were we were literally in an undercover war, just like what's going on right now. Going on right now. And the crazy thing of it is you see there and you start to put these pieces to this the puzzle together. And people can be like, oh man, this man's a conspiracy theorist. No, I'm not. It's all out there for people to really look and, and to exactly. Because they call people conspiracy theorists when they don't want to do the information, do the due diligence to do the work themselves. But all the people that get labeled shit are the ones that's actually out there researching things. Right. Just, and and people just can, can call me whatever they want to call me. I'm going to say real. it like this, is that we are, if anybody thought we were 2020 was bad, 2021. We haven't seen anything yet until yep. this 2024 election. 2020 so set the stage. 2020 just simply set the, the stage and a new tone for a new era. We haven't seen the worst yet. No, and I'm going to tell you why we haven't seen the worst yet, because literally 
you have politicians that are going against everything their constituents want. On both sides. On both sides. On both sides. Yes. So that's why I think it's, it's important for people to pay attention this election season because it starts now. They're already getting geared up. Uh, because it is going to be a battle, you know, and it's going to be a battle between good and evil. And we got to stop settling for the lesser of the two evils because it, a good evil is still a, a bad evil. And that, that yep. just because you put good in front of it that doesn't make it that it isn't evil. It's still evil. Talk about it. So we really need to start thinking about that because if we want to get rid of homelessness, if we want to get rid of gun violence, if we want to get rid of actual police brutality, if we want to, you know what I'm saying? We got to come together as people. We got to come together as people because at the end of the day, politicians are never, ever going to be able to change the things that we want to change. It's going to come from we, the people. Yep. It's going to come from us. It's not going to come from President Biden. It's not going to come from President Trump. It's not going to come from Obama. It's not going to come from Walls. It's not going to come from Bob Mastromino. I know I just said his name wrong. Um, I was trying to think of the Pennsylvania uh, governor. Mastromino, um, but you're right. You're right. I know. You know, it's not going to come from people like that. It's going to come from people that are on the streets. It's going to come from we the people because yep. we got to change. And we want to, we got to become the change we want to see. Yep. It's time to start pulling that village together and, and it's time to start grabbing each other and reaching the ones that are under us and guiding them in the right directions. It's, it That's just what, makes me think of the one song you have where you say, change starts now. Change starts when we want it to start. We got to be willing to do that. Nobody else can do it for us. No, they can't. No, no election in the world is going to be able to change of how everything that goes on in the world. Yep. Yep. We got it. Like Michael Jackson said, we got to look in the mirror. You got to change that man in the mirror first. You got to change. That no matter man. what is happening to it, on top of that, people like right. to make excuses. Oh, this happened to me, and this is why I can't get there. It happened to you, but is it is it all of you? Are there other parts of you that can make sure you can get past that? There should be. Right. I don't know. Maybe some people. But no, I was just saying. uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um. Yeah, but I definitely am not a a, a, a cop lover. Um, I don't, you know, because I want to know what he meant by, and I know he's not on here anymore, but that I am literally using this as a fundraising opportunity to push the cops narrative. I would really love to know what Grunt means by that because I'm not fundraising anything. Um, I came on here to talk about something that in subjects that nobody wants to talk about, that people are scared to talk about. So 
that's what I'm doing. This ain't got, I'm not pushing no cop gander or fundraising, none of that. So um, I'm going to leave off at that. Part three will be tomorrow. Uh, so tune back in uh, 8.30 Central Time, 9.30 Eastern. So with that being said, y'all have a great day. It's, it's Tuesday. Get out. Enjoy this beautiful weather. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving. Every day, fighting for my life. Every day, fighting for my life. Fighting for my life. Triumph. I am enough. Triumph. Triumph. I am enough.